Would you please uh, remain standing for the scripture reading? Today's scripture reading comes from the book of Psalms. We're going to read Psalm 75. We praise you, God. We praise you, for your name is near. People tell of your wonderful deeds. You say, I choose the appointed time. It is I who judge with equity. When the earth and all its people quake, it is I who hold its pillars firm. To the arrogant I say, boast no more, and to the wicked, do not lift up your horns. Do not lift your horns against heaven. Do not speak so defiantly. No one from the east or the west or from the desert can exalt themselves. It is God who judges. He brings one down. He exalts another. And the hand of the Lord is a cup full of foaming wine mixed with spices. He pours it out, and all the wicked of the earth drink it down to its very dregs. As for me, I will declare this forever. I will sing praise to the God of Jacob, who says, I will cut off the horns of all the wicked, but the horns of the righteous will be lifted up. This is God's word. You may be seated. All right, good morning, church. Thankful it's, uh, it's not too roasting hot outside. Definitely feel the lack of AC, but it's not too bad in here. Um, it's genuinely really, really great to be back here with you all worshiping. Um, like it was said, we're back on home assignment. We just have about a week and a half left before we head back to Ireland. And so our time here spent a lot with reconnecting with people and sharing our updates, um, as well as trying to raise our monthly support back up to 100%. But I'm genuinely thankful for the opportunities to preach from God's Word instead of just give updates, uh, especially when, uh, for an emotional guy like myself, uh, we get to preach out of the Psalms. Uh, in the Psalms, we get to witness what the full complexity of honest, authentic, human emotion uh, from God's people looks like. We see adoration and anger we see joy and confusion and praise and lament and sometimes all within one psalm. Our psalm this morning, though, is a psalm of praise and thanksgiving, but what makes it interesting is why they give praise. See, there's a lot of psalms praising God on the back end of God uh, rescuing them or blessing them, and so thanksgiving follows but Psalm 75 is not one of them. Instead, this morning, we're going to see God's people giving praise, giving thanks in the midst of uncertainty. We don't know the exact context of this psalm, but several commentators place this psalm somewhere in the timeline of the Babylonian destruction of Jerusalem. In verse 3, God speaks to a time when it seems like the earth and all of its people quake. There is a chaotic unrest in the world of God's people. Uncertainty. Instability. If we imagine the destruction of Jerusalem here, then there is indeed complete upheaval for God's people. The temple in ruins, the community torn apart, families ripped from their homes and each other. And man, you can imagine for the Israelites, 
This probably made them question who their God truly was for them. I mean, did he abandon us? Or is he just silent in the matter? Is he aloof? Is he cold-hearted? Or is he just absent? I mean, I would imagine they're fighting to remember just who this God is for them. And I'm curious if, if any of you, like me, perhaps have, have felt some of those similar things over the last couple years. Well, let's pray one more time and we'll dive into our text and hear what God has to say for us. Heavenly Father, I I simply just ask that you would help us this morning. We confess that we do not have the ability to, to see you rightly or understand your word rightly without you. We need your Holy Spirit, so I pray, God, would you speak through me and would you give us eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts to respond to your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, open up your Bible, if you have one, to Psalm 75. Now, this uh, psalm was a song that they would have sung together in the assembly and from a people in the midst of unrest and uncertainty and chaos. Let's Let's read how they begin their song together. Verse 1. We praise you, God. We praise you, for your name is near. Their world in complete upheaval, chaos, and the first words out of their mouth in this communal song is, We praise you, God. We praise you. Or most often translated, we give you thanks, oh God. We give you thanks. Which should make us ask ourselves, why in the world are they giving God thanks in the midst of chaos? I mean, are these people delusional? I want to be careful here because we have a tendency uh, not to be authentic with our true emotions. It's much easier to, to bury those down and slap on a smile and fake it, right? But they're not faking smiles here, church. Not in the Psalms. We see authentic emotion expressed in the Psalms. God's people should never fake it. We are a real, authentic honest people. They're not faking praise here. So why do they praise him? Well, look closer with me at this first verse where it says, we praise you for or because your name is near. People tell of your wonderful deeds. We praise you for your name is near. Any clue what that means? I mean, that probably just sounds like hippie nonsense, unless you understand it according to the Bible. Because for an Israelite in this day, God's name meant a huge deal. God's name meant much more than a title, much more than your name or my name. God's name was tied to his identity, 
was tied to his character. It was tied to who he was as God, his very heart. When Moses, for example, asked to see the fullness of God's glory on Mount Sinai, God granted his request and said, I will cause all my goodness to pass before you and proclaim before you my name. And he did. Passing before Moses declaring, Yahweh, Yahweh, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty. See, at his core, in the very heart of his character and identity displayed in his name, our God is the great I am, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And these aren't just cold facts that the Israelites knew about God from a distance, but his name was near. They're saying, listen, this God has made himself known to us intimately. He has proven himself to us time and time again as his people. People tell of your wonderful deeds. It's the difference between uh, some of you knowing my name, maybe even knowing some of my uh, character from afar, but my wife, Sarah, oh, she knows my name intimately. The core of who I am is near her. I have proven it over years of us intimately knowing each other. And this is what the psalmist is doing. Because right now, it, it doesn't look to them like God is who he says he is. It doesn't seem like he is for them. Well, but sometimes, in the midst of suffering, in the midst of trials and doubt, we need to remind our own souls and each other exactly who this God is. They're not praising God or thanking God because of their present circumstances. They are praising him because they're choosing to trust who he will be for them in the future based on who he has been for them in the past. By faith, by faith they praise. By faith they give thanks. By faith they sing, we praise you, O God. We give thanks because you are Yahweh. There's no one like you, God. We know you. You are merciful. You're patient and kind. You are faithful to us. You've proven yourself to us. You're the God who forgives sin and who always keeps his covenant, and you will not let the wicked prosper over us forever. And so we praise you, God. By faith, we praise you. And then God speaks. 
And for the next four verses, God is quoted, saying, starting in verse 2, I choose the appointed time. It is I who judge with equity. When the earth and all its people quake, it is I who hold its pillars firm. To the arrogant I say, boast no more, and to the wicked do not lift up your horns. Do not lift your horns against heaven. Do not speak so defiantly. There's a few things going on here, so let's, let's try to break it down. Firstly, God speaks and reminds his people and the nations that he is both the sovereign and the judge. He alone controls the timeline for judgment, and he alone will judge with perfect judgment. Listen, I can, I can cheat on my taxes, for example, and pretend like there are no consequences, and for a while that seems like it's true, right? But eventually, one day, the IRS will come knocking. Judgment eventually comes. We may take issue with the seemingly delayed timing of God's judgment, but God says, I choose the appointed time. God alone has the right to its timing. And we should remember that what we often regard as slowness is often his mercy and his patience and his grace to allow people time to repent before judgment comes. See, it looks like the wicked nations are getting away with everything, but God assures, no, there is an appointed judgment day. And on that day, everything will be judged perfectly. But in the meantime, when the earth and all of its people quake, God says, it is I who hold its pillars firm. I was up in the Boundary Waters uh, last week with some friends, which if any of you have been up there, meant a lot of getting, getting in and out of a canoe in very unstable, mucky waters. And so what you do is you have somebody hold the canoe so that you can step in without flipping the thing. The canoe will still rock and quake, uh, but you know because your friend is holding it that you can step in. Which is one thing for my out-of-shape friend with the dad bod to hold on to a canoe. But God says, when it seems like your whole world is quaking, I, Yahweh, hold its pillars firm. Even as these godless kingdoms plunder Jerusalem, God holds it all in accord with his plan. Daniel 2.21, he changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. And to these proud and arrogant kingdoms, God says, boast no more. He gives us this image of uh, lifting up horns, which horns were a symbol of power at this time, and to lift up your horn was to make a public uh, assertion of your power. These surrounding nations aren't just expanding their kingdoms, they are boastfully defiant against the one true God, and they lift up their horns against heaven. And God says to the proud, to the arrogant, 
to the self-reliant, you who lift up your own horns, I will eventually cut you down. You could think of Jesus' words in Matthew 23, 12 here. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Now let's remember all of this being quoted by God here is being sung by God's people. And why they do this matters to us, church, so listen. By singing back the very words of God, they are anchoring themselves in God's word together. Not their own fleeting thoughts, not the worldly mantras of the day, but in God's eternal words. They are reminding themselves what God has said he will do. Remember, Israelites, God has said he chooses the appointed time. He will judge perfectly when the time is right. He holds the pillars firm. He will cast down the arrogant. We can believe this because Yahweh has said it. And in response to God's word, they continue. Verse 6. No one from the east or the west or from the desert can exalt themselves. It is God who judges. He brings one down, he exalts another. In the hand of the Lord is a cup full of foaming wine mixed with spices. He pours it out, and all the wicked of the earth drink it down to its very dregs. Comfort is drawn for God's people. Comfort in the assurance that there is a day fixed and appointed for judgment. And for their enemies, that day will be a terrible We don't often speak of God's judgment as a good thing, and yet we avail of good and right judgment every day. Our earthly governments obviously do not do a perfect job, but we rejoice together when we do see right and good, fair judgment happen. Like when a a vile sex uh, trafficker ends up behind bars, for example, there is a rejoicing. But this is especially true when earthly Justice misses it. When wrongs are done that go unpunished. And I hope you haven't, but maybe you have experienced something like that personally. You've been sinned against, but it went unseen. Or it was dismissed. Or wrongly judged. Comfort can then be found in the fact that one day perfect judgment will come. God's eyes don't miss anything, and he will judge it perfectly. And that's what these Israelites are doing as they look out onto atrocities happening to them at the hands of foreign nations. They know Yahweh to be a God of perfect justice. He is a righteous judge, which means he can't just sweep wickedness under the rug. 
Wrath is being stored up for the wicked, and there is an appointed time where they will drink that cup of wrath down to its very dregs. I wonder, though, how open the Israelites' eyes were here. If indeed this psalm was written around the destruction of Jerusalem, well, that destruction itself was judgment on Israel. It was a result of their covenant unfaithfulness. While the name of God was on their lips, their hearts were far from him. They were the proud and arrogant, living defiantly and self-reliantly without God. And it's easy to think of the most wicked of the world deserving of the cup of God's wrath, but the truth that the God of the Bible declares is that we have all missed the mark. For there is no distinction. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and the wages of our sin is death. The sobering reality is that it's not the vile kings out there, but but we, you and I, are the wicked that deserve God's cup. God chooses the appointed time of judgment, and it is God who judges with perfect fairness when that time comes, and it is God that says there are none who are righteous, no, not one. All of this talk of God's appointed time of judgment, I I wonder if it's got you thinking. Because really, from this psalm's perspective, there were two promised appointed times that God foretold would come. Everything in Israel's history, all of the prophecies leading to an appointed day when the fullness of time had come, that God himself would make things right. And we can read about that first appointed day in Galatians 4, 4. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son. Born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption as sons. See, God had an appointed time for judgment. And when it came, God sent forth his son. Here's the good news of the gospel for us this morning, church. Because because every last one of us deserved to drink the cup, Jesus came to drink the cup for us. Abba, Father, All things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. The very cup that the Israelites cried out for God to give their enemies, they themselves deserved. We deserved. So out of love for them and out of love for us, God drank the cup himself. Because Jesus was the only one who didn't deserve it, Jesus was able to drink the whole cup down to its very dregs for us. So that anyone, 
anyone who genuinely turns to Jesus in repentance and faith can receive forgiveness. And not just forgiveness, but adoption into the very family of God as sons and daughters. Oh, that's reason to praise, church. That's reason to praise God, infinite reason to give him thanks in the midst of the worst circumstances. Charles Spurgeon once said, for infinite goodness there should be measureless thanks. And because God made his name near through Jesus, we can give him thanks. All while we await the second appointed time, when Jesus comes again to judge the living and the dead. Hebrews 9.27, just as people are destined to die once and after that to face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many. He will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. It is indeed a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But for all those in Christ, both appointed times are our reason to give thanks. Jesus will come again to fully execute perfect justice. And here's the good news for all those in Christ. That justice has already been executed perfectly. It's done. And so he comes for salvation. Let's look at our last two verses, and then I'll give us a quick application before I close. Verse 9. As for me, I will declare this forever. I will sing praise to the God of Jacob, who says, I will cut off the horns of all the wicked, but the horns of the righteous will be lifted up. Notice the psalm ends the same way it started, with praising God. But this time, the we switches to I. It began with congregational praise to God. We praise you, God. But it ends with personal praise. As for me, I will declare this forever. I will sing praise to the God of Jacob, both of which are needed. So this psalm gives us an answer of, of how to respond in the hours and days of uncertainty and fear, and instability. It's not the only way to respond, right? The Psalms teach us that there's a time to lament. There's a time to just weep. There's a time to sit and be silent and wait. But one of the ways God's people endure through a broken world is we, by faith, give him thanks when it's hard to feel it. We praise God communally like we have this morning, and we praise God personally. We do not fake it, but we think of real praises, real ways that God has proven his character to us, proven his love for us. And as you recall, 
All of those different memories and times and facts and scriptures, you speak them out, you journal them down, you sing them out loud to yourself and each other. As you do that, you're reminding yourself and each other just who this God is. And like our psalmist, I'd suggest you do this by recounting the wonderful deeds that he's done in your own life and by God's own words. Speak or write out the specific personal things he's done in your own life and then get back to reading the Bible. Let him remind you who he is with his own words. And finally, do that with God's people and do it personally. Man, it's so easy, I know this for myself, when you're not feeling at your best, it's so easy to skip out on the gathering of God's people. It's like all I want to do is isolate, and that's the exact thing that's going to create more unrest. God has created you, saved you into a spiritual family, into a community of his people, and we need each other to remind us just who he is. But then, just like our psalmist, that has to come from our own hearts and lips again. Depending where you're at, listen, that might be the hardest thing in the world for you to do right now. The good news is, Yahweh is gracious. He's gracious. He's patient. Even if that starts with just a whisper, start praising his name with your own voice. By faith, by faith praise God for who we know him to be. We know who he is because he has made his name near. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we praise you. We praise you. We give you thanks, God. And I know for myself, and I'm sure for many of your people here, there has been some difficult days in the past or maybe even in the present. We just give you thanks, God, that we know that we're not alone in that. God, you are not a mystery. You have made yourself known. You are near to us. You sent your Son that we might know you, that we might have access to you. You have given us your Spirit to intimately walk with us. God, you are for us. We thank you that you are with us. We thank you that you have made a way for us. We thank you that we are not alone. We give you praise that you are glorious and wonderful and good and patient and kind. We thank you for being the God that you are. And I just pray, would you remind your people of that this morning? Help them to see you and remember and trust in you that you are the God that you say you are. We pray this in the name of Jesus.